If you're able, please stand up for the reading of God's Word. We're continuing on James, and we'll be in chapter 4, starting verse 11. And God's Word says, starting from verse 11. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are, you, are, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning through his holy word. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning, Lord, asking you, Lord, to speak to us this morning, Lord, to whether encourage us, rebuke us, Lord, align us with your word, Lord, that we would... Lord, understand this concept of judging, Lord. How do we judge and what's the right way to go about it, Lord? I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us understand this clearly this morning, Lord. If guard me from error, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would move and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you may sit. So James and his book. We spent the last few months in the book of James. A letter to the church written by the half-brother of Jesus. It is a, parti- a practical letter, too practical to be misunderstood, and too piercing to let us stay comfortable. James does not speak using a lot of Old Testament references or big theological terms. Rather, the weight of the letter comes with the simplicity and frankness with which he speaks. Before Jesus rose from the dead, James joined his brothers and sisters in dismissing big brother Jesus and his claims, most likely amusing their children with the talk about that uncle Jesus that we all have. We all have that one uncle, right? That is, you know, we're like, what is he talking about? But after the horrible murder of his brother, something happened. A resurrected Jesus appeared to him, and everything changed. He no longer apologized for his, for his brother, for his, little, for his older brother, or refused to identify himself with that Galilean who was murdered by the Jews and the Romans. He was his Lord, his master, to whom he was a bond servant. The entire letter is really about James' own personal transformation, From a non-believer to a believer. And he writes his letter to declare that in no uncertain terms, how genuine faith like he received is lived out. How do we live out our faith? It seems that whenever we get practicable practical about or about faith, we begin to say Christians do this or Christians do not do this. We can't help but measure ourselves, our works, and the works of others. And instead of being led to the cross, we walk out believing, I just have to be a better Christian. I just have to do more good works. That is not the gospel. The good news of Jesus that Jesus tells us is that he has done all the work to make us good. The glorious message of the death and resurrection of Jesus is not that as long as you are good, it doesn't matter what you believe. 
It is that it doesn't matter if you've been good. As long as you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you believe this, change does occur. So it's about, the change comes after you understand that Jesus is your Savior. But that doesn't mean you stop sinning in every way and pursue God in every, in every way we can. We fail. We're going to fail. We fail every day. With our tongues. Thinking we're wise. Not loving people. And being too friendly with sin. But even as we pursue a faith like Jesus, we know that our faithfulness or our lack thereof is not what makes us right with God. That is not the gospel. Doing good works is not the gospel. It is not the way we earn salvation. We are made righteous by the perfect obedience of Christ and His death for us. Amen? Amen. Our lives are not about working more, but confessing that we don't work and asking Him to work through us. Our lives are not about making ourselves more faithful, but crying out to God that He might grant us repentance and by His Spirit empower us with the faith of Jesus to endure in trials, as we're talking about, we're going through trials we will go through, or we have gone through, to fight temptation, we're going to be confronted with temptation every day, to depend on God's wisdom and to love others. We need the Spirit to empower us to be able to do these things. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We're going to fail if we try to muster up our own efforts. So judging Christians, we, we suffer from a nasty tendency to judge ourselves and to judge others. Do we not? James knows that as he, as he charges people to stop being friends with the world, that people are going to start judging one another's friendlessness. It seems that whenever God's word is preached, it seems we often work very hard to ignore God speaking to us. There is always someone else, right? So tell the person next to you, it's not for you, it's for me. Sometimes you're like, man, that person who should have been here isn't here today. What's up? (laughs) But is God, we're here, whoever's here is because God wanted you to be here this day. So we judge the sermon, the speaker, the listener, even scripture itself, we judge. Don't do that today. So let's read James 4, 11, 12 one more time. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We can say brothers or sisters. The one who speaks against a brother, brother or sister, or judges his brother or sister, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are, you are not a doer of the law, but a, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save, to save, and to destroy. Speaking about God. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So how are Christians to judge? How do we judge? James shifts his tone a bit using the word brother three times here to address what he predicts will happen or is already happening. And again, it's brothers or sisters, so it's not just to the men. Christians speaking evil against Christians. Has that, does that happen in the church? Nah, it's only in the world, right? <laughs> not in the church, but it does happen in the church. It's sad, but it does. Some translations will have, do not speak slander against one another. The Greek literally means 
to speak against, which can either be truly or it could be falsely. Gossip makes use of truths or half-truths and speaks them in places they should not go. Slander typically describes spreading lies or falsehood to cause harm. Not good. Slander is a sin fit for someone ambitious and self-promoting, hurting others to get ahead, ahead of them. We see that a lot in the workplace, don't we? And James quickly focuses on the heart of this kind of speech between brothers calling it the sin of judgment. So the question is, are Christians supposed to judge one another? Do Christians judge one another? No, yes. It's a good question, right? We'll be able to answer it today. <laughs> Clearly it is wrong to make a false judgment about someone to lie about them. But is it wrong to make a judgment about the actual sin of a brother? On the surface of this book, it seems as if James is saying, no. And if there is one verse memorized apart from John 3, 16, for the entire world, it would have to be, what is it, you guys? You guys are smart. Judge. Do not judge. Do not judge. It is a favorite to be brought up anytime you declare something sinful, wrong, or otherwise exercise intolerance. Perhaps you've never had this spoken to you, but I have. If you've never been courageous, if you've ever been courageous or foolish enough to tell someone they need to confess or to repent, oftentimes you'll be met with, don't judge. Who are you to judge? Or, yeah, who are you to judge? <laughs> Has that happened to you? Raise your hand if that's happened to you. It's happened to me. Especially when I'm out there evangelizing, preaching the gospel, calling men to repent and to put their faith in Christ. They're like, who are you to judge? Who made you the, the judge of us? And I'm not the judge of you guys, I tell them, but the word of, of God and the scriptures is our judge. Because God has spoken. So, and mind you, there are times when you need to ask that. There are times when someone is just being a plain jerk and speaking something evil as James condemns here. But I believe that there, are, there is a difference between being judgmental and making a judgment. James is talking about being judgmental because a judgmental person is not loving. But making a judgment or judging might in fact be the most loving thing you can do for someone. It could be the most loving thing being telling the truth, right? So hold on there, Pastor. What about gentle Jesus, who is meek and mild? What about him? Though he doesn't mention Jesus' name but a few times, James echoes often what Jesus said in his ministry, especially the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7. For there, say amen. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. That's the CSV. There are many who love this verse and declare it to be the blanket statement against all judging. Jesus said not to judge, so stop saying, I'm sinning. Stop declaring that people, who are, go that people are going to hell. 
and stop making judgments on who I am as a person. You are speaking evil. You need to affirm who I am and accept who I am and be open to who I am. Have you ever heard that before? And I might have to agree with you if Matthew 7 was the only verse we had in the Bible. If that was the only verse. Sometimes people like cherry pick their verses, you know? And they build theologies and, and beliefs out of them. But when Jesus spoke about judging, gentle Jesus also told us to judge a great many things, only to do so rightly. There's a right way to judge. So first, hypercritical judging. Hypercritical judging. Judging wrongly is what James speaks to here. He speaks directly to people whose attitudes are not driven by the great royal law, which is, what's a great royal law? Love God and love your neighbor. Sadly, you are probably met a person like this. They possess the spiritual gift of fault finding. Is that a spiritual idea? <laughs> Where they are hypercritical of everything. Maybe you've met these kind of people. Maybe you are one of those kind of people. Something to think about today. No one wants to be parented by, married to, in a relationship, or even around that, that a hypercritical person. They criticize words, people, friends, enemies, ideas, appearances, and basically anything that they decide they don't like or agree with. They are worse than a down-in-the-dumps, depressed person. The depressed might drag you down because they need so much, but the hypercritical will drive you away because they need nothing. They always assume the worst, and as a result, they pick apart every person or program who doesn't meet their standards. No one can do it right. Have you guys met those kind of people? James calls this person a lawbreaker. It's not just inconsiderate or a personal or personality quirk, but he calls it sin. It's a sin to be that way. Now, it is not unlawful or sinful to criticize, but it is a sinful to have a hypercritical spirit. In other words, it is sinful to criticize someone when it is not spoken in a spirit of love. When you don't say it in a spirit of love and you're just criticizing, you know, Tearing them down. I mean, spoken with hope and an intention to affect that person in a loving way. Words are works. Remember, that's what we've been going through, James. If your judgments are not led by the law of love, you are more than just speak evil. You're not just, you're just speaking. You are trying to steal God's task as the judge. Because God is the only one who's a judge. And you are not only judging behavior, but judging hearts. James simply asks, who are you to judge your neighbor? So can I judge if I'm not hypercritical? Sure. As long as you're not hypocritical. They're pretty similar, those two words. The fact is Jesus did not forbid judging. He condemned and warned against the wrong kind of judging. Again, from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to Matthew 7 again. Are we still there? If we could go back. <clears throat> so we'll read verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? But don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye? And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of the wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter of your brother's eye. So we also speak evil and are unloving if our judgments, in our judgment, if we speak like a hypocrite. It is rare that we probably need to criticize at all, but if we feel we must, then Jesus wants everyone to make sure that they have first attended to themselves, to you. Why? Jesus says you can't see clearly to judge all with that two by four in your eye to remove that little splinter in your brother's eye. We've done it. Someone is doing something, we call them out, but then we ourselves are in the same or even worse situations than them. That doesn't mean that you need to be perfect before you make any judgment, but certainly not guilty of the same thing you're criticizing. A hypocritically judgment person is so concerned with everyone else's little errands, they don't even notice the log, that big old log, that everyone else sees but have been kind enough not to say anything. Those who have not first judged themselves cannot even see clear enough to make a right criticism. So the heart of judging, because it's important to realize to see the heart of judging, let's go to John chapter 7, 24. The Gospel of John 7, 24. Jesus warned us about how such evil judgments occur. So John 7, 24 says, Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. So Jesus says that there is a right way to judge and a wrong way. And he says the wrong way is by appearances, by how people look. And that is sinful. Why do we judge by appearances? As strange as this sounds, it I think it actually has to do with community. So hypercritical, don't want to get to know them. Hypercritical. We judge them before we even ju- we, we, we are even judgmental about them as worthy or unworthy of our love. It's easy to be critical about people you don't know or you care about. Because you don't know them, you don't care about them, so it's easy to be hypercritical. I mean, hyper, yeah, hypercritical. Hypocritical. You don't allow someone to get to know us. If we did, we would probably not be so judgmental because they know who we are. So if they know who you are, you wouldn't be saying things about them that way. Community is where you allow others to see your heart and you desire to see others. A community that is driven by a desire to know that other person, to love that other person, to build up that other person, to assume the best about and desire the best for that other person. Even if I don't feel they deserve it. That is gospel community. So when is judging right? When is it the right time to judge? Any judgment that is not guided by the law of love is sinful. Is judging ever right? James does not say that there is no judge, but that there is one judge who has spoken and God has given us his word on a great many things and it is God and it is good and right to declare those judgments in a way that is loving. 
God has given many laws and encouraged, if not commanded us, to speak His words and His authority. And it is just as sinful to remain silent or anti-judgmental as it is to be hypocritical or hypocritical. So sometimes we can go the other way where we're not going to judge nobody, we're not going to say nothing because it's bad. Clearly Jesus tells us that there are times and places when we must judge. So how should we judge? With love. With a vision to bring that person or place or thing into a place where they are more glorifying to God. When should we judge? After we judge ourselves. After we have sought to understand once we see things rightly, we are called to judge many things. So judging false teachers and according to God's word. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, 15. Seven fifteen to 20. Are we there? It says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn brush, brush, bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce, a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. So we're called to judge false teachers according to God's word. If they're not speaking according to scripture, they're, and they're, they're saying their own opinions, their own thoughts, we are to judge them. We are to tell, call them out. We can't be silent about that. Amen? Number two, judging definitions according to God's word. Language has power in our culture, and with each new generation, definitions get transformed. Think of the words family, man, <clears throat> woman, marriage, and even God. The fact is that <clears throat> we must judge the definitions by culture by the word of God. And while many things change in culture, God has ordained some not to change, to be the same. He has given us many definitions and designs that do not change. While God is loving that does not mean that he is absolutely tolerant, and neither should, and neither should we be. And yet God is loving or himself, and, or of himself, his glory, and his church, and his word, and his ways. We do not endorse what God does not. Affirming everything and everything is not always loving. In fact, affirming and endorsing and proclaiming God's ways is always loving. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, but its end is a way to death. So there's ways that the culture has said things are the way they are, but they're not. It's, we got to uh, judge them by God's scripture, by God's ways. So number three, judging decisions according to God's words. We must discriminate each day as we judge what decisions to make. We can judge decisions right or wrong based on God's word. Some of those decisions are quite explicit. Should I lie? Should I cheat? Should I steal? Of course, no, right? 
We judge those wrong, not because of their potential benefits or costs, but because God's words declare. We judge some of the decisions which are not so explicit. There are some things that are not very clear on the word of like, should we do that? Should we not do that? So we judge some of those decisions. Um, and we, we got to go, well, first, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, how it tells us how we should judge those decisions that are not clear. First Corinthians ten thirty one, and it's more regarding Christian liberty. There, <clears throat> it says, "So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God." Why? Because all of our, all of this, our birth, our life, our death, whatever we do, is about God, and it's not about us. So there's some things that what should you eat? What should you wear? How should, what should you listen to? You got to do it to the glory of God. If it's not glorifying God, then it's not right. It's sin. But if, if it's glorifying God, it should be all right to do. Number four, judging the sins of a brother according to God's word. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. It is not evil to judge a brother in Jesus. It is, in fact, love. What do we do when a brother who says he is a Christian but refuses to live like a Christian without being hypercritical without being hypocritical or hasty. If we love them, we tell them they are sinning. So let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, and it says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. James himself says it in, letter, in the letter. Let's go to James five nineteen. 519 of James. That'll be like the last scripture of, this, of the book that we'll end with later on. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So we are able to judge, as we see in Scripture. Judging isn't wrong in and of itself. We can't cherry-pick verses from Scripture. Judging the sins of the world. What about non-believers? How do we judge people who aren't Christians? The goal of judging sinful behavior, though it feels judgmental, is never to punish a brother or sister. The goal is always the glory of God and the firm belief that sin not only cannot bring Him honor, but will bring chaos and death. Even with the best intentions, we are not loving when we speak, when we, when we speak judge, when we judge people, even if it's truthful, if we are not governed by loving your neighbor. We have a responsibility, and I dare to say you are not a doer of the law if you affirm sin or ignore the sin of your brother or sister. We fear making any judgments because we have convinced ourselves that not loving or that it is more important to be right relationship with them so we can be okay with them but it's not about that it's a relationship with God how is our relationship with God it is loving when it is spoken in love so everything we do is in love and for those who are not believers we don't judge them James writes to the church brothers and sisters in Christ let's go to Matthew chapter 7 because that's where originally Jesus is speaking about judging 
And I actually thought about this. I was like, as I was preparing this message, I was like, how do we judge the world? They're already judged because God already judged them, right? They're already fallen in sin. But look at what Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 says. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, churn and tear you to pieces. If you've ever confronted a non-believer and shared something with them about the Word of God, do they value it? Do they care about it? Do they cherish it? Absolutely not, right? So Jesus was saying, you should not attempt to remove specks from the eyes of unbelievers. You will only unnecessarily aggravate them, and they will just bite you. They don't care if, the, if, the, if they meet the meat they are eating came from the altar or from the garbage. They will not appreciate it. It is not your task, so it's not your task or my task to reform unbelievers, but to love them and tell them that Jesus died for their sin and to save sinners like us. He offers freedom from sin. He offers a better way. He offers joy freely by His grace. Amen? So in closing, I want to speak to a specific group here, and maybe on, on the video channel, because maybe some people who are listening aren't believers, or aren't, aren't Christians. So there, are may, there may be some of you here who I talk about brothers who are not sure if you are a brother, if you're a Christian. You're not sure that you are a Christian. You, when you hear that God is judge, able to destroy, it rightfully brings fear to your heart because you know, I've broken God's law. I've been playing God my whole life. Maybe that's the banner of your life, playing God. When I disagree with God, I'm right and He's wrong. And that's how that works in my world. My God would never do this. Of course He wouldn't because He doesn't exist. He's a figment of your imagination. You have created Him in your own image. That is not how it works. If that is you today, God will want you to get your attention because He has declared that there is wrath, a day of vengeance coming where God will repay you. If you see that, you see that bad news. James also wants to give you some good news because, friend, friend, the God who is able to destroy you is also the God who is able to save. James says the God who is able to destroy is also the God who is saved. So this is how he did it. Through the incarnation, God, the judge, took off, took on, took off his divine robe and he laid aside his gavel and he clothed himself in frail humanity. He sent himself in the person of Christ, the eternal Son of God, clothed himself in, in, in flesh. The Father of life sent a good and perfect gift to this world, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And Jesus gave himself up willingly on that cross. The Bible says that in the divine courtroom, Christ suffered our sentence. He purchased our pardon and he rose again, defeating death and the penalty of sin. And through repentance, the Bible says, the willingness to turn away from, our, from yourself and having faith in Christ, trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, today, Lord, that we would put our faith in you, Lord, that we would, like, judge righteously, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you would grant us repentance and faith, Lord, that you would help us be your children, Lord, and you would give us eternal life, Lord. We pray all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.